Logging the Night Sky, Part 1 on Episode 280 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. In this episode, we'll talk about logging or keeping track of your astronomical observations. But first, we have a thank you to some of our supporters here, Shane. Yeah, again, we have some new Patreon supporters. So a big thanks to Don, Clint, and Mike uh, as our newest supporters. And as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We really do appreciate it. And as a token of our appreciation, we are mm -hmm. doing a giveaway uh, this year uh, towards the end of December, I think, Chris. We haven't yep. really settled on a date quite yet, but uh, <laughs> it'll be right around there. And uh, we'll be giving out a, a combination of some RASC handbooks and calendars. Yeah, so it just... Uh... It's one of those things where we were doing, I was doing a bulk order for my class and then Shane and I chatted and to bulk up that order, we just sort of filled it up and uh, were able to get a discount on some of those. And then we're going to, going to give some away. We've, we've uh, already provided some to a few people and we're going to, you know, we really do appreciate our, our Patreon supporter, Shane, and we're working on amping up our audio maybe is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make some improvements uh, with some, some new gear, so the audio hopefully is uh, just a bit better quality. Yeah, that's uh, going to be coming in the new year. I have parts arriving. I got a new microphone, got a new, um, well, a uh, sound um, input for my computer, and uh, yeah, but no cable, so no new audio today. <laughs> well, all, all good things come in time, I suppose. I suppose so. Mm -hmm. I suppose so. So, because since we started the podcast, we've been just working on more or less the the gear that we had um towards the end of our last podcast or that we just sort of bought towards the start of this uh podcast but we haven't actually uh purchased any gear for this podcast since we've been since we've been running i don't think maybe a, a couple small items but nothing major yeah exactly so this will be well this will be good i'm excited for it yeah. And if anybody wants to uh, donate, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash actual astronomy. And uh, like we were saying, we're going to be announcing the new winners towards the end of this month or at the first of next year. So Shane, back on episode 272, we had Tom on as a guest. It was about mm -hmm. a, a month ago. And yeah. he said, yeah, yeah. So he suggested, what did he suggest? Do you remember what he suggested? Uh, about... Um making uh, an episode dedicated to logging observations, just that there's a, a number of different ways uh, to do this. And uh, we we sort of sounded the call to to all listeners that uh, we would love to know how everybody is is logging their observations, because I don't know if you, if you put 10 people in a room, 10 amateur astronomers, I bet all 10 have different ways of, of logging their observations. So it's, it's a great idea to just gather that information and then share it out because I think we can all benefit from how uh, other folks are doing this. Yes. Yeah, so we, we received a lot of emails and some, some audio recordings as well. And uh, I know Phil sent us some recordings. Thanks so much for those, uh, Phil. We, we appreciate that. Um, and then we received uh, several other emails. And so this is just a sampling. And Shane, what I ended up doing is I ended up breaking it up into two sections because I really felt that when I was looking at these, I don't want to edit the, I don't want to edit what people write too much. Sometimes we'll make some small changes. I feel comfortable with that, but I don't want to like paraphrase people too much, especially when they've gone through um, and written us uh, some really great and detailed um processes as well as the context of their own observations because for me anyway even just 
for who I am and my own observing, I felt that having the full context um, provided a bit of uh, education in how other people actually do this. And then as well, I thought that I, I didn't want that to be lost. So I, I split these up into two episodes. I hope it's okay. I think it'll make for a smoother recording anyway. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So uh, should we should we get going? Uh, do you want to mm-hmm. read the the first? It's a it's a short email, but I think I think the reason why we're starting with Wade's email is he was the first to write as well. Um, he is really just getting going on the logging end of things. So Shane, do you want to, are you able to take this away? I know I sent you the notes a little bit later there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Wade wrote, Hey guys, uh, I started taking notes on your recommendation and have found it very useful when testing gear as it helps me remember, remember what actually worked best. However, I struggle to find a rhythm with general observations. Uh, sometimes it's natural and I write down a lot. But sometimes it feels forced and I struggle to write anything useful. Uh, just my two cents. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so thanks for that, Wayne. And uh, I think sometimes change just takes some experimenting to figure out what's going to work really well uh, for you as an observer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, some nights uh, when I'm observing, I, I, I sort of wax on poetically. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm probably giving myself way too much credit, but, uh, you know, sometimes I'll write quite a bit about what I'm, uh, what I'm seeing through the eyepiece mm-hmm. and then other nights it's like three or four words, you know, like yeah. 20, 24 millimeter panoptic, uh, yeah. slight hazy, uh, nucleus, uh, no prominent stars in the field, you know, just something very basic. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. other times I'm very descriptive and, Um, I certainly, I I try not to beat myself up, you know, it's more, it's more just trying, like for me, when I log an observation, um, the purpose, uh, is that if in a month or a year or whatever timeframe, a, I want to know whether or not I observed the object. Cause I will Mm -hmm. forget that sometimes. So that's, that's priority one. And then priority two is just to get a sense or try to rekindle the memory of that observation. You know, what I actually saw through the eyepiece. Um, and, um, you know, even when I'm kind of, uh, you know, like kind of, uh, not using many words, I find that I'm still able to, when I read that observation log later on, it usually does a pretty good job still to rekindle, uh, what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I'm there with you. And, uh, for me, I'm on my side of it. I, I do more sketching now. I, I was like, wait, I never really could get into the rhythm of writing out my observations. Um, and so what I end up doing, and we had several emails like this, um, I think Tom, uh, you know, towards the end of the, the second part of this, this very mini series talks about this, but what I ended up doing is I preferred to, I prefer and still do to just share my observations with people. And so what I would do is I would come home from a night of observing um, and I would have some like very loose, loosey goosey notes kind of thing. And then I would tie them into a bit of a narrative about the observing session, like who I went observing with, where we went observing, you know, uh, did a deer come up and, you know, scare us that night or like, you know, whatever happened. And then I sort of put in like the observations, like we looked at NGC 891, we could see it was the spindle and I almost like sense the dark lane and uh, Clark's 12 inch telescope or, you know, things of that nature. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so that's actually how I end up logging my, most of my observations for years. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's another great way to do it for sure. And, and that's the beauty to me of having these conversations and, and, uh, collecting this feedback from our listeners of just the different ways to, to log and rekindle some of those memories. 
Yeah. And then uh, another place um, that some people may share their observations, like an online forum like Cloudy mm-hmm. Nights or Stargazers Lounge or on their own uh, either list server or forum uh, that you might have through your astronomy club or, or center. Yeah. Yeah. That's another great resource for sure. So Wade, he, I had to put this in. So this, this actually has less to do with logging, but uh, I had to put this in. So, because I, you know, I don't want to sort of, uh, you know, everybody is their own person. And although somebody might be a newcomer to maybe logging, I know Wade's been doing astronomy for a little bit and he actually will, will modify and build his own DIY DIY devices. And Shane, did you get a chance to check out the light that, uh, that Wade made for observing? Yeah, this is incredible. Um, this, um, this is sort of what I had in mind. Like if you remember Chris, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned, I might take on a winter project of just building my own flashlight with like a proper Amber led and a a dimming thing. This is it. Yeah. I sort of envisioned something like this, but this is like, 28 levels higher than what that's <laughs> so awesome it's amazing it's so good so do you want me to describe it chris go ahead yeah yeah go ahead so it's it's basically like a, a like kind of a hand-sized uh, black rectangular plastic box um and there's three leds uh, at one end one is uh, red white and then amber and then kind of on the longer side of the rectangle, there's three switches. So you can activate uh, whichever light you want. Yep. Um, and then there's also a little dial that you can turn to uh, control the brightness, um, which is just phenomenal. It has everything you could ever want oh. <laughs> for astronomy. I love this thing. And it looks so stock. Like that's the cool yeah. part. Like I remember, yeah. and my apologies, there's like several things that Wade has built um, over the past uh I feel like it's been a couple of years since he's been sharing these things. Um, and, and I remember the first thing he sent, I was like looking at, I'm like, I don't think I've ever quite seen this thing before. And the same with the the light, it looks like, it looks like something if, you know, if you went to like here in Canada, we have Canadian tire, maybe like fries in the States. It, it looks like something if you went to fries and we're walking along an aisle and looking at like, I don't know, like voltage meters or something like that, you, you would, you would, this would not be out of place. Like you could literally take this, just put it in like a, like a shrink wrap plastic and put a cardboard top on it and hang it on a hook. And like, nobody would walk by and think that this was out of place, like hanging in an electronic store. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and, and there's a number of astronomy vendors out there that you know, I think they sort of started like this. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, they wanted a product that didn't exist. So they make it in their basement or w- yeah. their workshop or whatever it is. Um, and they refine it over a period of time of actually using it while observing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after going to star parties and things and people seeing it and saying, Hey, I'll give you $50 for that <laughs> or, or yeah. whatever, uh, they turn it into a business. Um, like yeah. that's one of the, like, that's how disc mount mounts started. Essentially. I forget the person's name that runs that company, but essentially there wasn't an alt as mount out there that he yeah. liked because, um, he would always have to adjust, um, you know, weight for counterbalance when he would put, you know, uh, a light eyepiece in after having a heavier eyepiece and it yeah. frustrated him. So he made this yeah. disc mount that basically meant you never had to uh, like worry about counterbalance. Uh, it just sort of works. 
Yeah. And now he charges a lot for them and they're considered one of the best mounts in, in the hobby. And uh, I just, I, I love stories like that. And I, I'm pretty sure Wade could monetize this if he really wanted to. I would I, buy one in a heartbeat. I would buy one. Like, and I'm not even, like, that's no joke. And I'll tell you, yeah, because yeah, this solves, this actually solves several problems that I have. Like he's rethought an amateur astronomy flashlight here and it solves some problems that we have like legit problems. So one of the, like one problem is the shape. So current flashlights tend to be that weird kind of roundish kind of squarish and they don't fit well in a pocket. Okay. And they don't lie flat. If you're trying to sketch and you're trying to put your light flat on a page, it's very difficult to use those flashlights. This solves both of those problems. Additionally, the on-off switch and the potentiometer, the thing that controls the dimming of the light, is typically just one unit on the current flashlights. And you think it's a smart design because it's sort of a one and done, but it solves two things. But it doesn't work really well because how many times, Shane, have I left my light on just that tick and it's on, but it's not red. And then we have like a big spell of bad weather for two months. And then finally that great night comes and I take my light out and the batteries dig because it wasn't fully off. But he's put switches on so you can see if it's on or not. Yeah, yeah. Quite I, good. I think it's the perfect flashlight, to be honest. The The only thing I'm curious about, so the end opposite the lights, like I wonder if there's a place to attach a lanyard because I do like to typically have it around my neck. Yeah. So it's just you know, kind of always, uh, accessible, but, um, you know, if it has a, a lanyard attachment for sure, in my mind, this is this, it does not get better than this flashlight. See, I don't use a lanyard, so I'd be happy with this. I'm sure there could be a lanyard option. Oh, and I should add that he used eclipse batteries in it. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if he got that or not, but let me tell you, <laughs> if they decide to reboot the original Star Trek and need a prop person to make retro futuristic chic gadgets, um, I, I'm sure I could hear Wayne's phone ringing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, all right. uh, and, and the pun contest is over, Chris. Okay. All right. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. All I'm right. Kidding. No worries. No worries. <laughs> I know I can never stop now. Before we, uh, before we read the next set of logs though, um, you know, it's really humbling to get all these, uh, all these emails from uh, like Mark and, uh, and Wade uh, who are submitting the process so we can, we can learn where people are, you know, what people are doing and the processes that, uh, that they're going through. And we really appreciate the, uh, the newer observers who may send their logs or submit their questions and, and how to keep uh, better track of their observations. So um, maybe a good way to put it is if, if anybody, likes what they're hearing in the podcast and you know somebody else who might enjoy being a part of this conversation that might be a beginner or that might be somebody who's more advanced um maybe just just shoot them uh, a share link to the podcast or just let them know uh, about it so that uh, maybe they want to join in this in this conversation because just having this this wide spectrum of individuals uh, i think really really helps with uh, with the podcast and uh you know and, and the type of information we're able to provide people yeah. Yeah. It's almost the snowball effect. The more, the more you have, the better it just gets you, you know, with all of these types of inputs and uh, different experiences shared, uh, everybody benefits that much more. So I'm going to read Mark's, uh, Mark's note here. And that's a pretty good one. Um, Mark, uh, Mark sent us, um, uh, an email, but in, in further correspondence, he actually ended up sending us an audio file of Eastern coyotes. He recorded, 
while observing. And I will try to share that as we get to that part of the uh, uh, of the email. So maybe uh, maybe what we'll do, Shane, is um, would you mind reading the first bit, and then I can tee up the the share file. Yeah, for sure. So um, Mark writes, hello, gentlemen. Uh, I enjoy your podcasts very much. It's refreshing to listen to kindred souls that would rather look at the night sky than spend a clear night in front of a computer monitor. Uh, I was an active visual observer when I joined the Montreal Centre of the RASC in 1991. But in 1995, I was left to raise two young children on my own, making it difficult to travel to dark sites. Ten years later, uh, a dear friend introduced me to astronomical imaging, and with practice, I was able to capture some challenging narrowband objects from my suburban backyard. Uh, but I missed being under a dark sky. So in 2020, with my kids now out on their own, uh, my new wife and I moved to the Laurentians. Uh, now we can see the Milky Way when we step out into our yard. Um, on dark moonless nights, I wheel out my 15 inch Dobsonian and hunt for Herschel objects. Uh, my scope is equipped with Nexus digital encoders, which makes it easy to hop from one object to the next using Sky Safari on my iPhone. Uh, when the app is in night vision mode and the screen brightness reduced to 50%, I can locate new targets without losing my dark adaptation. Uh, which is a good comment, Chris, because you and I often talk about not using phones, but mm -hmm. it's great that um, it's great that Mark was able to find uh, sort of a, a balance there where it works for him. Yeah. Um, to get back to the email, uh, Mark says, uh, to keep track of what I'm observing, I ask Siri, open voice memo, and then with a sideways glance, I press the red button on the phone to start mm -hmm. my recording. Uh, I always identify the target at the beginning of a recording and then describe the object and its surrounding field. To keep the recording short, I start a new one whenever I change eyepieces. Uh, one unexpected benefit of voice recordings is that they capture not just uh, what you see, but what it feels like when you're observing. When I replay my recording of the Pisces cloud, uh, I can hear the astonishment in my voice when I first laid eyes on this lovely string of galaxies. Yep. Some of my recordings even capture the occasional hoot of an owl or howl of a pack of coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, so then he sent us this, uh, this audio clip and I'm going to, I'm going to play this now. Okay. Shane. So he's going to, he's going to say uh, a couple words and then I'm going to turn the volume up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, so this is something he captured during an observing session. So if people are listening, after he says his words, you can turn the volume up and then after about 20 seconds, turn it down because uh, we'll, we'll come in too loud. All right. So with that warning, here we go. Coyotes. I'll just come in gradually after that in case people have their volume up super loud. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a big, it's a bit quiet. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, it, it definitely was quiet, like for the phone to pick up, but I can imagine Mark heard that quite clearly and that it was much louder than that while observing. Cause you and I have experienced this multiple times and yeah. it's, um, 
it's almost like, you know, you have your comfort food and, uh, hearing coyotes, uh, kind of bark and howl is, yeah. is comforting to me. Cause it just reminds me of, uh, being out under the stars with a telescope. Yeah. Yeah. They, here they don't out, out East though, those Eastern coyotes, they can be kind of big. They always sort of make me a little bit, a little bit, maybe more leery than you are. Um, out here though, I've gotten very comfortable with it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, cause sometimes I'll be out observing and my wife will come out and, um, she'll be looking through the telescope for a few minutes or she'll be walking up the hill and she's like, how can, how can you be out here with that? Because I'm on my hilltop and then the next hilltop over is a little taller and that's where the coyotes live. And so it's only maybe a hundred or 150 meters away. It's not that far. And, uh, they get up there howling. I've actually never, considering how close they are, I've never seen them there. They're so timid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they usually they're curious, but they usually do a pretty good job to keep distance. Yeah, even while we're not there and there's a bit of snow down, I've been going out there every week, and uh, yeah, I've seen one set of coyote tracks in the past month. So they don't come and hang around, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, that was really cool. I hadn't thought about it. now. I really want to record them. Um, while we're observing, I really hope that that uh, this coming summer we can we can do some recording sessions in the field. Um, I think I think actually getting a good recording of them will will take a little bit of work, but uh, we'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be neat. All right, shall I carry on? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll cut in then and uh, give Shane Shane a rest. I sort of surprised Shane this morning and had forgotten again in the second week in a row to send him the show notes. My apologies. All right, Mark goes on to say the next day I upload them, uploads his notes into Dropbox, and then he transcribes them into a Word document. And uh, for example, he he gives us his log entry of two galaxies in Delphinus. Uh, that he says he observed on September 29th this year. They are NGCs 6928 and 6930. He writes, this pair of galaxies is located a little over a degree south of Epsilon Delphinus. NGC 6928 is easy to spot through the 17 millimeter, which gives him 127 magnification in his telescope. It's a little one to two arc minute, sorry, arc second streak east-west with tapered edges situated between two short arcs of 9 to 10th magnitude stars. NGC 6930 is faint and occasionally pops into view along the southeast. Through the 10 millimeter, which is 217 magnification, I see two stars embedded in NGC 6928, one along its northern edge and an out-of-focus one, which is uh, probably its core preceding it. NGC 6930 lies a little over three arc seconds above and following a 12th magnitude star. Sorry, Shane, is that arc seconds? Is one strike arc seconds or arc minutes? Oh, that's a good question. I think that's an arc minute. Okay, yeah, it should be an arc minute, I think. So my apologies for that. That forms a narrow triangle with two 10 to 11th magnitude stars. It's elongated north-south perpendicular to its neighbor. In the six millimeter NGC 6928 tapered edges are well defined and the core appears offset towards the western edges of the envelope. NGC 6930 measures less than one arc minute at 350 magnification when compared to two closely spaced stars in the arc lying to the southeast. I see a little brightening occasionally along its northern edge, the superimposed anonymous galaxy UGC 11590. There's a lovely drawing of these two in the Longobulan Skiff book, 
the Observing Handbook and Catalog of Deep, Deep Sky Objects, but surprisingly, neither galaxy is a Herschel object. Granted, all of this may seem like more work than necessary, but the universe is a big place, and I never know if my scope and I will be back in that location again someday. It's nice to be able to relive the moment whenever I choose. Clear skies, Mark, St. Lucia de Laurentian, Quebec. And he's from the RESC Montreal Center. Thank you so much for this, Mark. That's pretty cool, eh? Great email. Yeah, um, I loved it. And I love the comments around just like what an audio file can capture that just writing down words misses, you know, in terms of excitement and emotion. Uh, when you hear the inflection in, you know, your voice or others, you can sense that. And obviously when you write um, just words, uh, uh, you know, unless you're capturing the emotion in the words, it, it's lost. So I, I think yeah. that that's awesome. And, you know, you, you kind of, like early on in this episode, you mentioned, uh, Phil had sent in some recent observations and, um, oftentimes, you know, I, I, I'm, I think you would probably sense the same thing, but you sense Phil's excitement when he's mm -hmm. uh, talking about some of his observations. And one of the recent ones that he sent us is just a phenomenal observation too. uh, mm -hmm. Phil with his eight inch daub. Uh, observed a Martian moon, which is extremely yeah, challenging. Very cool. uh, yeah. So he, he observed Deimos. Um, he was using an occulting bar and what I loved about his, um, uh, his recording that he sent us was just hearing the meticulousness of going through the process to see this moon and the, the, the difficulty and the challenge of it. And then also the excitement when it happened, but then also how he, uh, continued to observe it multiple times over the course of, I think it was an hour or so, maybe yep. a little longer, yep. um, just to sort of validate what he was seeing. Um, so anyway, you know, not just a great observation, but still kind of a, a neat way to capture it with these uh, audio recordings. So definitely appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the other thing about Mark's observation there, it's neat. He was using a 15-inch Dobsonian to hunt for the Herschel objects. Um and I think he's he's up towards the Eastern Townships as well. Uh, but our friend there, Mark uh, Bratton, who wrote the book mm -hmm. on the Herschel objects, uh, had used a 15-inch daub um, for hunting those down. And and we've spent some nights uh, looking through that telescope, eh, Shane? Yeah, it's a it was a fantastic telescope while he had it. I think uh, I think Mike bought that off. Of yeah, him. Mike Mike bought it, and he's been slowly trying to get it back into uh, into working condition. So, <laughs> I haven't really tried to use Siri to do the the voice memos before. I know I know of other people who who either use like a like a dictaphone or Siri or something of that nature. Um, it's pretty neat. It never really had captured my attention that it would also maybe pick up these other things like coyotes or owls or just the other things that are that are mm -hmm. going on like um my last session which was just over a week ago i was out and i was observing and a buck deer um you know came flying out of the woods just maybe a hundred less than 100 feet behind me more like 50 feet behind me and stopped right on the road i was set up on and looked at me for about a minute. And then I was like, you know, kind of talking to it to make sure it knew that I wasn't, uh, I don't know. I just didn't want it wandering down towards me because it had like mm -hmm. the great big, I could, and even in the dark, I, against the snow, I could see the, uh, the antlers on it. And I was like, oh, that, that could be messy. And I didn't really have a good place to get to. I was just like sort of set up on my own in the middle of nowhere. So uh, that would have been a really interesting recording to have. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I've used you. I think you and I have both used Siri this way, but um, there's times when I'm observing and, uh, you know, I'll just speak into my watch. 
uh, hey Siri, what is the magnitude of NGC six two three eight or something like yeah, that? Exactly, and it doesn't yeah. matter, and and you get a response very quick. And it, I've used it as an observing aid that way. Oh, yep. Don't. <laughs> now, now he is Siri talking. If that's okay, she just yeah. wants in the conversation too. Yeah, yeah. My my mistake. I <laughs> forgot she would just respond properly. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And then he mentioned the uh, Long and Buell and Skiff book, which is the uh, observing handbook and catalog of deep sky objects. Uh, I've got a couple of copies of this, actually. It's a pretty good book. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful book. I really enjoy that one quite a bit. So it's it's a little bit older. Um, and I believe uh, what they did is, I think it was from like a rooftop or something in uh, somewhere in Arizona and and maybe in Flagstaff uh, years ago, like in the 70s or 80s or something like that. And they they were setting up, uh, I think like a 12-inch daub or, or something of that nature and just did the observations from like a rooftop or something, uh, the two of them, uh, somewhere where they were working and just sort of uh, made tons and tons of observations. It's just uh, an excellent reference guide. I'm not sure if, if it's if it's not available new and I wouldn't, I don't think I would buy it new anyway. Just just buy it used. It's it's widely available used anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it should cost a whole lot of money. Yeah, and for good prices. And it's one of my favorite guides yeah. because, again, it is just some some uh, astronomers like you and I, Chris, with um, you know fairly modest telescopes and yeah. putting some really good notes in there. And and they use telescopes of different apertures at times. So it's just neat to read descriptions of how these objects look in different apertures. I, I love that book. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's really, really good. Good. Okay. Um, so I think that's a, that's a good place to end for part one. And we'll just come back and record part two here in a second, Shane, unless you have something else to add to this episode. Just one quick note, the next few episodes will probably be a little shorter than what uh, our usual time is. And uh, they're they're sort of winter shorts, maybe a little longer <laughs> than the summer shorts. Um, and, and it's just because of the holiday season approaching, you and I probably aren't going to be available to record with our regular cadence. So we're, yeah. we're stacking a few episodes up and uh, just a FYI, they might be a little shorter and in January, we'll probably return to our normal durations. Yeah, it's either we record and then take like, I think we worked out that we would probably end up just because of holidays and coordinating different things and actually getting time to write up the episodes and and do stuff. um, We would have ended up with probably at least a two or maybe a three to four week break. And so we're going to make just a bunch of short episodes, just like Shane said, and I will try to send them the notes earlier next time. (laughs) All good. (laughs) Thank you so much. Shane is a patient person. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, And as we were saying at the start, join our Patreon supporters there. You can just go to uh, Patreon and search for actual astronomy and uh, you'll be on the draw for the observer's handbooks from the RESC and uh, got a few calendars to give away as well. And we're always happy to get your questions or observations to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.